David Eichholt, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the Swarmcast, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, the number five ranked Hawkeyes, returning back home to face the Kent State Golden Flashes. And Sean, I was thinking about this earlier today. Isn't it kind of ironic that they're doing a gold out when they're facing a team called the Golden Flashes? That's so dumb. <laughs> Definitely uh, questionable, but... Um, no, that's so dumb that you thought about that. <laughs> I don't that's know, pretty, pretty it, cool on Iowa's perspective. I, I respect them, but I think it's just dumb that you brought that up. I'm sorry. I thought it was just funny because the Golden Flashes, I'm doing a gold out. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, to each their own, I guess. You've got to generate some excitement. But, uh, yeah, Sean, I think not really a lot to analyze about this Kent State team, but there's more so just storylines, what we're kind of looking for going into this game. And, obviously, the whole week Iowa's been preaching. They're shutting out the outside noise. Every game is serious. Yeah, yeah, yada. And the reality is, Sean, I think that this game should be taken incredibly seriously, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because it's no secret I think we're to the point now where this team's going to be able to go as far as this offense can take them and how much they can really develop. Yeah, this I think this game, I know a lot of people have mentioned it, you know, it's a good for backups to potentially get in and get some get some time. And, you know, I think there's a time and place for that. But like I said, I think it's more of just, you know, getting things figured out on the offensive end, passing game, you know, working on the vertical game, running game, like working on the outside the zone run schemes, you know, getting just getting plays that you need to be able to execute in Big Ten play, especially, and you know, just get that to work. Because I mean, Kent State's an interesting defense. The secondary, they have a lot of ball hawks, lead the nation interceptions, obviously, but it's not as strong as say an Iowa State, who's probably going to have the best pass rush defense that Iowa will see all year, depending on you know Big Ten championship if Iowa makes that or you know whatever bowl game Iowa plays in Penn State probably give you up there a little bit I think Wisconsin is contained but Penn State I think has some athletes on the edge that would be interesting to see yeah so Kent State gives a little bit of a different look I think they got some athletes there on defense obviously mentioned the secondary the interior the defensive line is pretty good be fascinating to see how uh shoot there's a bug there's a bee right by me um so it'll be interesting to see how you know, if how much of Tyler shot we see on the interior now that he's coming back from injury. Justin Britt didn't really have the best game against Iowa State. Cody Ince was solid on the inside. Nick DeYoung had a couple of moments where you're kind of like, dude, like, what are you doing? Same thing with Mason Richmond. He struggled that tackle a bit. Um, so I think, yeah, this is a game where more so just refining things and just figuring things out. I mean, I know you don't want to look past games like this, but – I think this is really a game where you can get that confidence rolling offensively. And then, you know, defense, everything seems to be pretty solid, but, you know, just continue to build on it. I think it, it, it's an interesting point, and I think this is one of our questions later, but I don't necessarily disagree with it. At what point do you stop throwing in Jack Plum until he shows more consistency in practice? Because he's gotten limited snaps these first two games, Sean, and he, he's kind of gotten cooked in both of them. He's just gotten beat pretty badly on some of these reps. And I do think having Kyler shot return will provide some stability at guard and just having another senior leader and experience out there. I think the cohesiveness of the whole unit will be better. I think obviously you pair him with Linderbaum, that'll be big. I still like Mason Richmond a lot. I think he's just needs mm-hmm. to continue to get those reps. I think Richmond can be a very, very good player for Iowa. Nick yeah. Dion didn't have the best day, but 
it, it, it's going to be interesting to me. when you talk about the Kent State defense, I think, you know, everybody wants to see the passing game take a step forward. And I think they have to, especially when you're playing a team like Kent State, even with their INT numbers as high as they are, they have to be able to find a way, move the ball, get chunk plays through the air. But this is a game where, I mean, Tyler Goodson could go for 150, 200 yards. Like they very much struggle defending the run. And yeah, I was, you know, tight end blocking, I think could be played very, very well. I think Monty Potabom, if he can land those edge blocks, I mean, there's definitely potential for a couple of game breaking sort of runs by Tyler Goodson. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we'll see a lot of Ivory Kelly Martin. It wouldn't surprise me either, Sean, if we saw LaShawn Williams get some reps based on what we saw in the fall. This is a game where he can really go in and maybe make a difference. But, you know, as much as people want to see the passing game get going, again, I think Iowa at skill position-wise and talent-wise is fine. I do think there's two big problems after I rewatched the film. I've kind of gotten a chance to really analyze it. One, I think you and I have hit multiple times. It's got it starts with the offensive line. There has to be more time in the pocket. There's got you got to be able to let Spencer set his feet and deliver. But I also think you go back to Spencer has gotten this habit. He's over relying relying on his checkdowns and his safety valves, whether it be Sam Laporta, whether it be Tyler Goodson, um, and maybe now it's Charlie Jones. I think is slowly creeping up in that category as well. But like Tyrone Tracy's not getting targeted as much. Nico Regani really isn't either. Luke Lachey even has gotten open a few times downfield where you and I have looked at each other. We're just, you know, kind of like, okay, I really, we don't know how he missed him. And he checks down to Laporta who's in the, running the same route, but just shorter. So I think it's a combination of Spencer's got to be able to continue to go, go through his targets faster. He's got to be able to not rely just strictly on safety valves. And it's going to come down to him having time in the pocket which is kind of ironic when I say that too, Sean, because we've heard over the, you know, over the summer and through his first couple of weeks, his completion percentage actually goes down when he has more time to deliver his throws. So I do think it's a tough position for Brian Ferentz to be put in right now, but I do think there are plenty of steps that this offense can take because the reality is if Iowa doesn't get the skill position players and their best, most explosive players, the ball, they are going to be in danger of losing some games. I think Bud Elliott said this in my conversation with him yesterday. They are going to be in danger of losing to teams that they shouldn't. And I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say they shouldn't lose any more games the rest of the year. I think that's unrealistic. But using you know the FP, well, using all these advanced metrics right now, Sean, Iowa's favored in almost every single game going the rest of the way. Yeah, and I think you know that's. That's interesting. I want to go back to what I said about the offensive line. Kirk mentioned earlier this week that, you know, they're playing the best guys that they got right now. And while there is some struggles, it's a long-term thing. You know, they're in it for the long haul in terms yeah. of like, yeah, you saw what guys like Alaric Jackson, Tristan Wirfs played earlier in their career. Um, you know, he's not saying that Mason Richmond, Nick DeYoung um, are going to be, you know, NFL guys, but, you know, they have high upside and, you know, just – it's going to be interesting to see how they can develop from here and, you know, continue to grow because, you know, they have so much, they have such a high ceiling, I think, especially Richmond. And, you know, like I said, it's the long game. You want to play the long game. That's, that's what it's all about when guys play in early, they don't play guys early. There's, you know, there's cases where they play guys early um, that really don't develop, but you know, there are a lot more cases where you play guys early and they continue to grow. They yep. continue to be really reliable, but, your point on uh, being favored here on out, yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say 
that Iowa's had the most impressive resume thus far in college football. I don't really think there's anyone denying it. Now you could come up with the argument that, say, Indiana wasn't as good as we thought. Okay, but that's one game. Iowa State wasn't as good as we thought. Okay, I know I, I understand the luck logic that a lot of people are throwing out, but I think it's one of those things, too, where, you know, Iowa was in the right place at the right time. Is, exactly. is Iowa State going to throw two or three interceptions next time they play Iowa? I mean, maybe, you know, just the way that this defense has been able to produce. I think you have to look at more at the preparation and, you know, just how they were able to game plan and scheme. I mean, at this point, it's like we've been covering the team for a while, not too long, like as long as some of the other guys, colleagues that we have um, in the Iowa market. But, you know, it's just become so consistent that, like, when do you consider it not like I think you have to really consider it just being preparation, just being prepared just having the right game plan, having the right schemes with a guy like Phil Parker running the show. I think at this point, like you just have to accept that, you know, it's kind of just an Iowa thing. And I think the 70 interceptions since 2017, which is the most in college football, I think you have to look at that and just like, be like, okay, like, you know, it's not a luck thing. Like these guys know how to make plays. They know how to stand receivers. They know how to really limit opposing quarterbacks. And you have to give a lot Iowa a lot of credit for that. Now, do I think their defense continue the path that they're on? I think they can. Do I think they'll have three interceptions every game? No. But I think, you know, it could be, like you said, with Wisconsin, it can be a contained thing. You know, the year, defense travels. I've said that in the last couple of podcasts. Usually yep. it's just a basketball term. But defense travels. And I don't know if there's a team in the Big Ten right now, maybe Penn State, but they're still kind of working things out, where I look at the matchup and I'm like, how can this team like how is Iowa going to stop these guys? You know, I don't I just don't see a team on the schedule like that, honestly. And you know, I think a lot of that success, I know I sound like I'm being a dead horse right now, but yeah, the offense. I don't want to give this Iowa team any expectations, any, you know, hype until I see the offense improve. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat as me. And a reason for that is, yeah, like the defense can produce as much. And Bud talked about it on the podcast as well. But, you know, you need a reliable offense at some point. Yeah, your defense can really be consistent for you. But how are you going to win games against Wisconsin, Penn State, you know, even Minnesota, if your offense isn't doing what it needs to do? Like, yeah, like there's going to be times where we saw it on that uh, Darren Wilson touchdown reception yep. where things are, you're going to mess things up occasionally. Yeah. And the that's going to lead the, the Wilson one. They got down the four yard line, not the touchdown. Yeah. The four yard line. Okay. So you're going to have mistakes here and there defensively, but how, like, you know, obviously with Iowa, it's limited, but how is the offense going to respond to that? How's the offense going to be able to bounce back and, you know, do what it needs to do to put Iowa in a better position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think just the offense needs to just click. I think the defense is definitely sustainable. I think it's going to continue to be a top 10 defense in the country. Now, like I said, I don't think they're going to have three interceptions every game, but I think they're going to, you know, just have that mentality and just have that consistency that, you know, can help elevate, you know, Iowa's ceiling and just make them – uh more productive team overall but the offense just needs to it needs to click I think Tyler Kluver tweeted this at me when I tweet when you talk about the luck stat and I I I think you kind of said it in a different way but I want to repeat it he basically said chance favors the prepared 
And I believe that's right. 100% true with Iowa. And I think another thing that goes to show is that, you know, Iowa, I know I don't want to, you know, beat this dead horse either, but Iowa doesn't, you know, some for some reason does not land elite cornerbacks in the recruiting process. They just haven't. So, I mean, these are guys who remember Riley Moss was a gray shirt. He was a two-star. I think if you looked back at his film and his athletic accolades, I think he probably should have been rated higher and recruited harder in, in a lot of ways, especially at six foot one, hundred, you know, hundred, whatever he was, maybe 180 pounds. Matt Hankins had some nice offers, but I mean, these are guys, Sean, that have been in Phil's system that have really worked hard in the film room and they're now being rewarded for that. So I do think the defense is sustainable. I think good defense stands. And I think another thing we need to take into account, this is a part of Iowa's best offense and best defense, Sean, Tory Taylor, what he's been able to do to flip the field and field position wise. And that's why, you know, again, I have a lot of respect for the guys, the, uh, the cover three podcast and what they do. The one thing I really wish they would have mentioned though, was Iowa special teams. Cause I think that cannot be overstated and how important that this team to this team it is and how far they can actually go. And with the consistency of a Tory Taylor, which is why I thought it was important to have Bud Elliott on the podcast yesterday. So I I'm really not looking for anything on special teams. You know, honestly, I'm barely looking for anything on defense against Kent state. I think the secondary, I really don't think there's much more question marks about them. If there are really any, I think Iowa's back seven is probably among the top five in the country. I'm comfortable saying that. And I think Justin Jacobs is really about to break out in the conference scene. I think his ceiling is very high. And obviously Dane Belton is as well. But if there is anything I want to see, I want to see Iowa's defensive line really get pressure on that quarterback. I know they've been so gap sound. And I think that that's been a big part of their defense. But, you know, let's let's go down the list of the elite teams. Oh, maybe not elite teams, but the tougher part of Iowa's conference schedule. And I'll even throw in Maryland with Tagovailoa at quarterback and go down between him, Sean Clifford, and Graham Mertz. Look, I know there's a lot of question marks about Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. I still think he has all the tools to be a very, very ridiculously good quarterback. I think they have a lack of receivers right now. But the reality is, Sean, that those guys uh, on Iowa's D-line, they're going to have to get to pressure in the pocket. They're going to have to collapse the pocket more. They need an elite pass rusher or at least a pair of very good pass rushers to sort of emerge to really help out this Iowa secondary. If there is something that though, I think that helps make up that ground a little bit, it's Iowa's ability to get up in the air and tip balls, the line of scrimmage. Cause that's led to some interceptions. That's led to some deflections and some good stops. But I'd really like to see maybe a John Wagner, maybe a Lucas Van Ness, who's even flashed a little bit um, over the first couple of weeks, really try to get in there and really, really disrupt, disrupt the quarterbacks. Yeah. And I think that'll come in due time. And I think we got a good taste of what they could do in the first two games, I thought the pressure against um, obviously, you know, Iowa State with the interceptions, I thought a lot of that was on the secondary. But um, I mean, Joe Evans, I think, had like four or five quarterback hurries in that game, and he only played like yeah. nine snaps against Indiana in the season opener. He was really good. Um, Zach Van Valkenburg was pretty active. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, Deontay Craig had his first career sack. You know, I think it's a lot of what we were hearing throughout the offseason. There's a lot of talent in that room, but it's unproven. And I think this is the games where, you know, it's starting to become more proven and, you know, starting to produce and seeing we're seeing what the Iowa coaches have been kind of just preaching, you know, throughout their tenure here in Iowa City is it's just that next man up mentality. And, you know, 
being prepared because that's what they are. They've, they've done a really good job the first two games, honestly, better than I would have expected. That's an Iowa State line who, you know, brings everyone back, but they're still kind of, you know, working out the kinks and, um, you know, haven't really had that group start together. But Iowa was able to really exploit that and really do a good job getting that pressure on Brock Purdy and forcing the pocket to collapse, limiting Brock or Brees Hall. They're going to have to do the same this week against Kent State. Um, I know it was Virginia Military Institute, but, you know, Kent State averaged seven yards per run, and they carried the ball, I think, 62 times, so almost 500 yards against VMI. I know Iowa's defense is completely different to VMI's, but that's a lot of rushing yards against a D1 for D1 football team. And, you know, that's going to be another one of those weeks where I think the linebacker play, defensive line play, is going to be really critical because of how much they can run the ball. And I think Guy was going to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage, but I just think it's going to be a tough test for them um, to, you know, just keep that up consistently. They they do some things offensively that I think are pretty unique, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that all pans out. I think something else, too, I mean, just going on pro football focus, when I was looking at Riley Moss, because I think they tweeted out earlier today, Sean, that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Iowa is the only school in the country with two 85 rate higher or above cornerbacks, Matt Hankins and Riley Moss. But Riley Moss only had like a 52 in, in run protection and, uh, and, and, you know, basically defending against the run. So I'm very curious if Kent State's really going to try to attack the edge and attack these cornerbacks and force them to make one tackles in one-on-one situations. I think Riley Moss has been okay at it at times. I think, again, he's much more that cover corner. He's much more that man-to-man type guy. Matt Hankins has been, I think, a very reliable one-on-one tackler over the course of his career. And I'm curious if they're going to try to attack you know, them on the edge. But I think you know it's an easy counter for Phil Parker. You throw in Justin Jacobs at linebacker with his sideline to sideline explosiveness. So it'll be interesting to see there, but well, I want to flip back to the offense, Sean, before we start tackling these questions, because uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to continue to sort of elaborate on this offense. Cause I think the reality is we, I think you're the same boat as me. I mean, they got the talent that they just have to find a way to produce. Right. You, you agree with that? Yeah, I would say so. I think Tyler Goodson, I think, you know, I'll, I'll do a quick rundown. I think Tyler Goodson, the most important thing I want to see from him is continuing to churn his feet between the trenches. I think I mentioned it on our post-game podcast. It seems like after he broke out for that big run against Indiana, that 56-yard scamper, which was a great run, and it was a really big thing for Iowa to get started against Indiana, he's been looking for the next home run play. And I think for Tyler, he can create those home run plays, but it happens when he plays his game and plays it naturally. So if he's, if he's in the trenches, continue to move his feet, get another two, three, or four more yards instead of dancing between the line of scrimmage and being tackled for, you know, maybe two or three yards, because that's how you physically impose your will upon a defense and it will open up things for Tyrone Tracy. It was interesting. We talked to Kellen Copeland yesterday about, you know, just the wide receiver group and, you know, the slow start. Let me see if I can pull up the exact quote here, because it, it was 
interesting the way he phrased it. I think it, he it was one of his first questions because I know we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, Sean, about the uh, body language from Tyrone Tracy at times. Yeah, some plays. Um, you know, he basically just said, Copeland said, yeah, he noticed that there's really nothing that gets by him when he's reviewing film, but he did make it a point to back up Tracy's character. He said that he's the ultimate competitor and he's going to have plenty of opportunities down the line. And this is why I thought it was interesting. He said, Tyrone's frustration doesn't stem from selfishness. He just wants to contribute to success. He's a competitor. He just wants to help the team win. He wants to contribute. And I think there is a lot of truth in that. I think at times, you know, Sean, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but the, the two most cocky positions in football are wide receiver and cornerbacks because every single play a wide receiver thinks they're open and every single play a cornerback says they got them locked down. That's just the reality. So I think Iowa does need to find a way to get Tyrone Tracy involved. I think he's had too much explosiveness, too much talent not to. I think that's how Iowa takes a step forward. I, I like Charlie Jones and what he can bring to the table. But I, I really want to see Petrus take some shots downfield in this game. I think they can afford to do that. They haven't really done that. And the only way to get confidence into doing it later on in the year is to be able to kind of let it fly. And I think that they should find a way to let it fly. And I think another thing that Iowa has completely gotten away from, I think, in these first two weeks, go back to the I-formation play-action throws. Really establish the run and then let a couple of deep balls go to whether it be, you know, Keegan Johnson, Tyrone Tracy downfield or someone else. I think if Iowa can utilize all that, I think they'll be in a good spot. Yeah. No, sorry. A bug just flew on me. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said there. Um, definitely all valid points, especially with, you know, wide receiver play. I think, you know, the impact of, Tracy being double teamed or not double teamed, but being tamed, being limited, maybe not, you know, target as much as expected has opened things up for other guys. I think Charlie Jones, I mean, that reception, that touchdown catch kind of showed what he could do as a receiver for Iowa. I think he's going to be a really dangerous vertical threat. And Nico Regani, um, I'm interested to see how that, how that goes with him over the next couple of weeks. I mean, he's a very valuable parts of the offense, but I mean, like, Tyrone, I mean, I think we've all been surprised of just how much he hasn't been targeted, I guess. And, you know, that'll come in due time. Um, I think the passing game will figure itself out. I think Petrus has shown that he could be more composed. He could take care of the football. He can play, you know, within himself. And, you know, we didn't see that last year. And Iowa's opponents last year, I know Northwestern made it to the Big Ten championship, but Purdue was not a great team last year. You know, I think I think the overall talent of the first two teams this year were a lot more, were a lot better than last year. And yeah, I, don't even think that's I would terrible. say, I know, I mean, I think the scheme-wise it was better, but this time around I think, you know, just the confidence in Petrus and while maybe he didn't put up as much yards, like he didn't turn the ball over. Offense was better, but, you know, there was obviously still improvements. And, you know, I think it's always just been a theme with Iowa, too, is that as the season goes on, things just start to click more and more. And we saw that last year on offense. And I think that's probably going to be the case of what happens this year, too. It just We just need to see it. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, that's again, I know I mentioned it earlier. These, these next two weeks, Sean, are the most crucial two weeks for this offensive line, this offense, because this is going to give them the confidence to go for the rest of the year or where I think we're really going to know if they're in serious trouble or not and what the ceiling of this team is. And I know how weird that sounds when they play Kent State and Colorado State, but these are two teams in reality that Iowa should be beating by four touchdowns. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree. Should we get some questions now? Yeah, yeah, let's get right to the questions. Uh, let me pull them back up. Uh, with the return of Kyler Shot and the young tackle struggling, do you see Cody Ince or Connor Colby moving to one of the tackle spots? I don't. I don't yet. I think they're going to give Richmond and DeYoung more time. I don't I don't see them moving Ince unless it's, like, absolutely dire. I mean, who knows? I think it's a possibility, but I really don't see it happening. I think they'd be more likely to move Colby to tackle. Yeah. But I do think that it'll be, I think it'll be a storyline that we might have to watch against Colorado state, depending on what happens this week. I think that they're going to stick with DeYoung and in Richmond this week, but if they continue to struggle, then I think there's going to say, you know what, we just need to throw something against the wall and just see what sticks because there does have to be that boost in the offensive line. But I do think with Kyler Shaw, it will give a little bit more flexibility to what Iowa can do. But the other part of that, too, is who knows how much we'll actually see this week because who knows how much Kyler Schott's going to actually play because I think we're still – it's still up in the air of how much he can really do. So I, I, I don't mm-hmm. buy the ins talk. I think they're going to keep him inside. As far as Colby, they might kick him the outside if, uh, you know, what happens is supposed to happen. Uh, when I was being the breaks off Kent State, how early do you see the backups? Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, Lachey, Yelverton, the Williams, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what backup quarterback gets snaps, Padilla or Hogan or both? Hopefully, Petrus and the other stars aren't still playing late in the fourth quarter. I, I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit, Sean. I think you and I are in a similar boat. I mean, I think you leave the stars in until five minutes left, even if you're up by five or six touchdowns. I know people are, might not like that just because – you don't want to risk injury. And I mean, if they pull them earlier, I understand that. But the offense right now needs as much confidence as possible. We're going exact numbers. I'm going to say nine or 10 minutes left in the, fir- or in the fourth quarter. We start to see the backups, at least on offense. Assuming they're up by about four or five touchdowns. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think Keegan and Arlen, they're going to continue to get minutes and continue to get reps, by the way. I mean, I think it was. A bit eye-opening yesterday talking to Kelton Copeland. He said that they're both farther ahead than even he thought they would be. He, they're exceeding expectations. But it's also hard to – who do you take out in favor of them right now? Do you take out Tyrone Tracy? Do you take out Reganey? Do you take out Charlie Jones? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's against two top 20 opponents at the time. It, it's kind of difficult to really say that even in hindsight. So I don't disagree. Nine or ten minutes left. I think if Iowa held out you know, until five minutes left, it wouldn't surprise me either, but uh, we'll see. But I think if that happens, you'll see Keegan, Arland. Who knows about Yelverton? I think you'll see LaShawn Williams, Gavin Williams. I mean, maybe Lachey, but Lachey would move over to Laporta's spot and be tied in one unless they threw in me in as well. Yep. Uh, let's see. At what point is Iowa going to be done with the Jack Plum experiment? Redshirt junior, fourth year in the program. He was not good on Saturday. Iowa should start Colby over him. I, I'll let you take this, Sean. I think I'm not I'm ready to. I'm not ready to give up. 
I'm not ready to give up on the Jack Plum experiment. I think he's going to be – I think he'll be solid and he'll be consistent. Now, I think Connor Colby may have more ceiling, may, you know, obviously with the way that he's played. I mean, he was Iowa's best offensive lineman on pro football focus and played about, I would say, a third of Iowa's offensive snaps. Um, so the staff loves him, obviously. think he's a really good player. I think he's catching up to Plum in those guys, but I'm not ready to say Plum's the odd man out yet. I think I mean, Colby's on. making up ground, but I think I think Plum is still that second guy. I think the next two weeks will be crucial because if he gets beat against Colorado State and can stay as badly as he did the first couple weeks, I think then they're really going to step him back on the depth chart and say you got to prove it in practice and to be able to earn your spot back. That's fair. Uh, yep, that's kind of my two cents about it. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think I'll let you take this, Sean. And you and Sean are bored a couple of times, but do you think with Matt Campbell basically throwing in the towel? I don't disagree with that, but I'm not fully on board with that yet. I think pulling Purdy was interesting. Uh, do you think it'll make some commits or recruits think about more about Iowa State and look back to Iowa? I mean, is is Iowa's not even really recruiting that many Iowa State commits at this point? Yeah, I mean, there could be like talks here and there with some guys, but. I haven't really heard anything of Iowa still actively recruiting guys. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know if there's any legs to anything yet. And you got let time play itself out. I mean, yeah, it's a long season. Yeah. I was like, results say everything, though, too. Like, you know, if Iowa State pulls it back, you know, and goes eight and one, I'm not looking at their schedule or whatever, but, you know, then the talks right now don't really mean much. Uh, who is the next coach on the staff to get poached to go somewhere else? That's a very interesting question. And before we answer this, I really want to make this a point. There is no t- active talks about any Iowa coach leaving the staff. This is just strictly our opinion. Nothing that we've heard substantial, like with any substance. I got, I got mine. If if you don't have yours yet, Sean, I'm gonna say seth wallace maybe or kelvin bell but i think those two guys are both pretty happy in iowa city yeah i think i would have said seth wallace but i don't think he's looking to really go anywhere because i think he's had opportunities to go other places and hasn't i'm gonna go off the board a little bit i think kelton copeland could be i really i i think kelton copeland just as far as an offensive mind guy as far as having a great persona as far as his knowledge of the game and his ability to recruit and what he's done with the Iowa wide receiver room, just in terms of talent, I think that's going to get, it's going to get some publicity and who knows what he's going to do. I think he's happy in Iowa city, but uh, we'll see what happens with him. I'm, I'm a big fan of Kellen Copeland. I think that was a very, I think that's a very underrated part of Iowa's quote unquote transformation over these past, you know, four or five years since he got on campus. Well, Matt Campbell finally bolt after this year with the Big 12 turmoil. Uh, I don't think so. I think he's got a few more years left in Ames. I'm, I don't think he'll leave. I think the time, the best time for him to leave has already passed because I'm very curious about the future of Iowa State because this was supposed to be the year. And they could still make it a great year, Sean. But they lose, I, I, if I remember right, they lose 17 starters going into next year that's never easy at all. So I'm very curious what they're going to look like. The future of that program is going to look like. I think he's recruited well. I think he's established a good culture. Yada, yada, yada. I also think he wants to stay in the Midwest. I think if the right opportunity presented itself, he'd look to leave. But I, I think it, it'd take a very big 
combination of things in order for him to really, really say, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving Iowa state because it seems like every single off season, we've sort of heard these rumors go around. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple more here. Keegan jo- quick. Yeah. Keegan Johnson has been over Jackson Ritter on the depth chart so far, but I've seen, but I've seen a lot more of Ritter. Do you think that's something to do with it being two very important games right away? And that we'll see more of Johnson in the next couple of weeks. I, I think the staff just likes Ritter, and I think they like having a true X guy. I think Keegan can play multiple spots at receiver, but I think Ritter, I think Ritter's done a pretty good job so far. That's pretty accurate. I mean, even you know, even Kelton Copeland said yesterday that they've been they they mentioned remember they mentioned him in spring, they mentioned him mm-hmm. in summer. Like this isn't a guy that just been, came out of the woodwork. Like he's been in the system. I do think you'll see Keegan Johnson more over the next couple of weeks, though, and I think you're going to see more of him in Ar- in Arlen Bruce as the season goes along, because they're going to continue earning snaps. I mean, we haven't heard anything bad about them at all from anybody. Uh, how do you grade the defensive line so far? Does Logan Jones return later this year? And we already mentioned the ints and shots. We talked about the O-line, D-line. Uh, then he just says, if there are any injuries on O-line, especially at offensive tackle, I don't see how we compete in the Big Ten. Uh, it's a little question. Sean, start with the defensive line, how you sort of grade them out. In terms of like just what you what the expectations were versus what production is. That's how I would take that's how I, I mean I mentioned it earlier. I think it's been better. I think it's been solid. I think it's been um, you know, better than expected. And I think guys on the outside, I think Van Volkenberg, I know he's kind of the focus of offenses. He's done a good job. Wagoner's had a couple of big moments. Um, Joe Evans, I love I love Joe Evans on the outside of the edge. I don't know what it is, but he's just so twitchy and just so fast that you know makes it hard for him to block. I think the interior, I haven't seen much out of uh, Yahweh Black. I'd like to see a little more of him, can, considering how much uh, how much talk there was of him throughout the off season. I think that'll come too. Um, Lucas Van Ness has been promising. Obviously, uh, Noah Shannon too. I think has been a load inside which has been good to see Logan Lee. I've been impressed with him as yeah. well. I think, you know, a lot of people are counting. We're kind of forgetting about him, honestly, but he's done a really good job coming up and, you know, just playing good ball. I think, you know, defensive line has been better. I definitely give it, I definitely give it a better grade than I was expected coming into this year so far, but you know, that's, that's, it's been good. I feel like it's been productive. It's been solid. And, you know, that's all you can ask for right now. I think I pretty much agree with what you're saying. I mean, I don't really know how much more there is to add. And I mentioned it earlier, but the way they've stayed in their gaps, I think has been the most impressive thing to me. And that's why they've had so much success over the first two games. And as far as injuries, especially to tackle, I won't say Iowa won't compete in the big 10 if there's a lot of injuries on the O-line, because I think the defense and special teams can carry it to a certain degree, but the ceiling of the team goes way, 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 way down. If, if there's a lot of injuries on the O-line, I, I think that's a, it goes to an eight to nine win ceiling versus a, you know, 10, 11 win ceiling with a big 10 title appearance and a big 10 West crown. So what's that line do you need to see from the offense over the next two weeks to restore or gain their confidence and their ability to go out and win big games. They have rushing yards, passing yards, receiving, receiving stats. I'll, I'll go first thing rushing. I'd like to see, I'd like to see 200 rushing yards minimum in the next two games. I'd like them to have over 220 passing yards, and I'd like to see a wide receiver have 90 or more receiving yards 
and have three or four receivers have at least their 20, 25 yards. I think that happens. I think they're going to be in a good spot confidence wise. I will agree with you on the receivers. I'm going to just stick with the passing game for now. I'm going to say 250 yards, two touchdowns, and at least like 50, uh, like a 58% completion rate. Yeah, the completion, that's a good point about the completion percentage because that definitely needs to go up. Then we got one more. It's how are you taking Mama Eichel for dinner? Uh, took her to Pat and Franz last night. Might hit Big Grove later this week. Maybe the view rooftop. Take her to some nice spots around town. Uh, Kirk Ferentz said, always said that throwing bubble screens helps out the O-line uh, that's having trouble blocking. Do we see more of that this week? That's a very interesting point, actually. I like the question. I think they we could see a little bit more of that. I'd be curious who the bubble screens would be going out to. I think Charlie Jones could almost, you know, go into his punt return with his quick reaction and twitchiness at that time. I think Tyrone, just to give him his receptions, to give him some more confidence. I think we could see a little bit of that. I think we could see some quick slants. I think, you know, we could see some, you know, seven, eight-yard out routes. Uh, I think there's a combination of things that they're going to try to do, you know, because even if the O-line can get some confidence for blocking for two and a half seconds and Petrus can throw some completions, I think the confidence will carry forward and that can help develop those longer uh, passing plays that fans and the media have a lot of questions about. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with everything you said there. I don't know if I need anything else. Uh, So I guess we'll go final prediction, Sean, final score for tomorrow and give me a surprise player. Iowa 38, Iowa 38, Kent State 10. I'm going to say, say Ivory Kelly Martin. I think he gets 80 yards rushing with a touchdown. Yeah, I'll say considering their defense, that wouldn't surprise me, especially with the way he he sort of exploded through a line of scrimmage. Uh, I'm going to go Iowa 45, Kent State 7. Maybe seven or 10, 45, uh, 45, 10. I'm gonna go Tyrone Tracy. I think Tyrone Tracy has a 40 plus yard touchdown reception and he sort of gets it going. Uh, but we're gonna have our full preview and our full coverage of a hawkeyeinsider.com tomorrow morning. We have plenty of stuff from today, there'll still be more coming tonight. Be sure to give us five stars on iTunes and be sure to download on Spotify and share it all over social media. You can follow me at David Eichel, D-A-V-I-D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T. Follow Sean at SBOC247 and at Hawkeye Insider. And be sure to go to HawkeyeInsider.com for the greatest and most in-depth Iowa Hawkeye coverage available. Until then, we'll talk to you Saturday. Thanks. Real quick, real quick, real yeah. quick. The reason why I've been, I was kind of quick on a couple of those answers, guys, and I apologize, is I am – Decided, I thought it'd be a good idea to do a podcast outside, and I had oh, I've been <laughs> swarmed. I've been swarmed by bees, so I'm like holding on for dear life right now. So right. my apologies on that. Thanks for putting your uh, life on the line to make this podcast happen, Sean. Really appreciate it. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Never doing this again. <laughs>